This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty. Is brought to you by the Dream Cafe. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode one hundred and three. Today's guest is an award-winning actress. She played Angela in the season three episode of Seinfeld, The Good Samaritan, Melinda McGraw. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty, Instagram at This Thirsty. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Rate and review on iTunes. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 103. Melinda McGraw. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 103. Today's guest is an award-winning actress. You know her from her many amazing TV shows, films, and theater productions, including The Commish, The Dark Knight, X-Files, Mad Men, The West Wing, Men of a Certain Age, Charmed. And, of course, she played Angela in the season three episode of Seinfeld, The Good Samaritan. Please welcome Melinda McGraw. Melinda, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. Hello. We are thrilled to have Melinda on the program tonight. So Melinda, take us back. It was a long time ago, but um, March of 92, The Good Samaritan aired, and you... you 30 years blended. ago, almost. 30 years ago. Shoot, we probably were shooting it like 30 years ago right now, because back then, there was like a four-week turnaround on the show, so right. it's probably like winter, yeah, of 92. That is... Crazy. Very crazy, kind of exciting, and also a little galling, but because um, it, ugh, I mean, I'm 30 years so old. So how did a girl from Boston end up on the set of Seinfeld? So take uh, us back. So was there an audition process? Tell us a little bit of how you landed that role of uh, Angela, what you okay. remember. So I will just tell you briefly, because I don't want to go through the whole thing, but I went to school in Vermont, and then I was accepted into a drama school in London for classical acting. So I went to the Royal Academy. I came back about seven years later, because that's where I started, and I did a lot of film, and I, I mean, a theater, and I did a, a couple of little film projects, and I was like, well, you know, I think I have to go back, because back then, there wasn't a lot going on yet. There was television, and there were a few films, but it was before a, uh, a room of her own and a lot of the kind of, um, you know, before Helena Bonham Carter kind of brought, brought uh, London film into the 90s. Um, so I came back, went to New York, didn't go that great. So after about nine months or a year, moved out to LA and I got a play and then I got um, a pilot and then the show was on for a little while and then I did the commish and yeah. I was back. Um, Oh no, this was, I think, before I went up to do the commish. I had had a little, I got Quantum Leap. That was my first job. So that's where I got my SAG card with Scott Bakula and uh, Dean Stockwell. So, um, and then my first sitcom was Night Court. I had a couple lines. Bull. Yeah. That was bull. Yeah. We, we heard it might have been the best experience for you. Yeah. Well, it was kind of funny because he was very, um, like, you know, I know this is your little moment in the sun or whatever, 
And I was like, cause I was doing it so I could finish my Taft Hartley and get my SAG card finished. Mm. And I was kind of like pulled out the old theater actress card. <laughs> And it turned, and I was like, well, you know, I'm really a theater actress kind of, and much to my dismay, like delight, he was a huge Shakespeare fan and he got all excited. So then he felt bad. So it was okay. Uh, okay. We became friends. So it was just, a, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was an offhanded comment. But anyway, so yes, Mark Hirschfeld, who I still love so much and is the most wonderful human being. And I was just looking at him on Facebook a couple of days ago, um, called me and I think I did a pre-read. And then the callback was at Radford in, and they have bungalows that were where their offices were. And I think the writer's room was upstairs and then it was downstairs and we were in a little, I was in a little waiting room. I don't remember another actress being there, maybe one, but it was Jerry in the room, Mark, and I think Larry David was in mm. the room and... Jason Alexander was directing this episode. Right. Yes. Yeah, I don't remember if he was in the room. I'm sorry. My memory is not that great of it. But um, I just went in and read, and she, what I got from her was that she was maybe connected. <laughs> this oh, okay. woman, Angela. I just, you know, and I don't know if that was in the script or not. I can't remember, but she was, you know, she was not someone to be trifled with. Right. She had pe people who could come to her aid if she needed help. So when she felt threatened, that was not going to be any holding back. Right. And the other character on the phone was, you know, saying, I'm going to take your bones off and reattach them. And so there was already a rhythm in the script from that guy. You know, back then we did get to see the whole script a lot of times now, sometimes not, but a lot of times okay. now everything's so secret. You, you have to guess what's going on. But so there was kind of a rhythm than to her outburst later after she's, you know, confirmed. right, right. So the, I just uh, remember going uh, for it and being very scary. As I thought she might be in the well, room. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because your character actually had two sides, you know, the ice cream, the ice cream scene with Jerry in the car, she's lovable. She's, you know, uh, la laughing. You can see a connection there. And then the, you know, it switches to the old, uh, you know, carve my initials in your brain tissue and, and pluck all your body hairs out. So there was that like was this, yeah, this, what, what, which did you prefer? Like you were, you played both really well. And you know, this is, this is a compliment, but your, 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 your bad side was, was a little bit unlikable <laughs> as opposed to the other <laughs> side, which was very likable. So it was a very good switch you pulled on us, the well, audience. I mean, so like, was that fun to do? And like, maybe what was your oh, fun, yeah. funner I mean, scenes I to be in? I always look for, um, I think my philosophy basically about every character is not so much in real life, though everyone has, everyone is complicated, but is um, what's their pathology and how much do they have? So, you know, what is her, what's wrong with her <laughs> and how bad is it? So, you know, we all have two sides, right? But, you know, this is that, that, that character is so classic Larry David, I think, but right, the turn. And I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard women talk about, but it's not, none of the show is exactly flattering to women. <laughs> you know, every woman he meets. Right, there's is, always something wrong um, with them. They find something to break up. Yeah, or yeah. they're just batshit crazy. So, right. um, you know, I think that that became very clear. And look, he, Larry, did, he's the sweetest guy in the world. And, you know, incredibly warm and loving and respectful and 
Um, but you know, he's still doing that with Curb Your Enthusiasm. There's still, you know, That's I mean, true. Susie, the character is absolutely insane. So, um, so no, what I like is the turn what I always like in a character is the turn, but especially with comedy, right? It's all about surprise. So it's really fun to be someone who, um, you know, he couldn't resist her just because she acted like she couldn't resist him, right? So it was just a mutual, it was one of those things. It was a chemical thing with them, I think. Yeah. And then it was super fun, but he, he of course, he couldn't enjoy it because he couldn't stop thinking, classic Jerry, right? He couldn't stop thinking that she crashes into this car, doesn't leave a note, gonna confront her, and then he gets off of that, but then he just can't let go of it because he can never let himself have the happy <laughs> moments. <laughs> so. Right. So, all right. So you had oh, you know what? I'm just curious. How do you how do you prepare for this? I know you. We talked about this before the show, but you were you were really good friends of Michael Conway, who was in season two of The Statue, had an incredible role. I'm just curious. Was there any advice he gave you about the show? Like, wh what do you know about Seinfeld? Because it, it was still the early years. It was the early years. I think when I by the time I auditioned, it was just really getting you know hot. And when Michael went in. It was like something in the ether that people in town kind of knew would be a very cool get. And it was a very big deal for us that he got that. I knew everything that happened that week. He told me everything. So <laughs> I definitely had an inside track. I knew about how everyone was behaving, dynamics on the set. I knew how Michael Richards took him out to lunch and um, how they and he just threw himself into it. And we were in an acting class with a wonderful acting teacher who had been a Broadway casting director named Michael Shirtliff. And he has a book and a lot of his book is about um, um, life or death stakes in a scene. To take it things to a, a level where the stakes are life and death. First of all, it's really good for comedy because all comedy is about pain. And he used to teach us that comedy is pain. The only difference between a tragedy and a comedy is that we're laughing at the person in pain because it isn't us. <laughs> so, oh, nice, right. you know, so the pain, and of course you can see that with the setup, um, the stakes get higher and higher. And, you know, with Michael's character, it all pays off with, with Kramer really coming into his own and that uh, they were so smart writing that opportunity for Michael Richards in that episode with Michael, the statue, to find this physical comedy. And he really kind of got his, they really got their hands around that character, Michael. Look at you. you, you are a great anal analysis of this, uh, this great show. So you're a big <laughs> fan, clearly. Oh yeah, oh yes, oh no, I'm a big fan. But I became, I was very aware of, um, and I just wanted to say as an aside, Michael is still my best friend and, he, it, when it, watching the podcast was funny because I was saying to you before, the fact that he still has the script and it's all curated and, you know, he has the statue and everything is so Michael and he's a brilliant actor and he could, you know, do whatever he wanted, but he's an artist and he is an extremely talented graphic designer. So he chose to do that. But anyway, um, yeah, so he called me in a panic because, it, you know, in the show he talked about getting fired because, um, and, th and I remember that, and he actually came home and told me that because during a run through, Jerry kind of looked at them and he was like, oh God, he hates me, you know. Um, but he called me like the night, the night of the dress rehearsal because he had gone out to his, um, there wasn't a room for him to have a, 
a dressing room on the stage because the dressing rooms there are there on the stage. He was out in his trailer. He was out in his trailer and they couldn't find him. It was just for a couple of minutes, but to him it was like the end of the world. But because it was a big deal. I mean, we knew it was a big deal and these, you know, he had a big part and he got to be with all of them and do some really cool stuff. So I knew about like, okay, here's this guy, you know, of course he sat me down. Here's how it's going to be here. You know, it's going to be this energy and, you know, Julia's a little bit this and, you know, it's a kind of a boys club and, but she holds her own. And <laughs> so I definitely had an idea, but in terms of the audition, I just prepared like I, you know, um, Really, that was really just to help me not be nervous, I think, in the room. But it was it was just it was the comic turn of her, you know, going, you know, hell for broke life and death right. stakes that she would have him killed if he did it. <laughs> like I played it like she was connected and she was going to get the mob after him. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny because we were talking about this before you came on, you know, me and Chris, uh, that when you when you make that turn and when you use those lines to carve my initials in your brain tissue and pluck all your bodies here, I mean, your accent comes out more. Uh, and we we were kind of trying to figure out because a lot of times when, when actors are yelling, maybe their accent comes out. Or you were you specifically using it to sound more like you were connecting with the yeah. you know, kind of a no, thicker Boston accent. Yeah, that her her real accent was coming out. Right. Um, that she, because she kind of had this veneer, you know. That she was, yeah, keeping everything's great. And I'm, this is a very, this is a very high maintenance woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's a pretty tough girlfriend um, to have. So yeah, that that she was really downright scary, not just because she had a temper, but because she could back it up. Yeah, that's just a choice I made. I don't know, but yeah, that was fun. Um, and you mentioned earlier. I mean, this was. Um... You know, Jason Alexander directed this episode, so that was a little bit unique. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I don't think you had any scenes with him, but he, I mean, obviously he directed you, so maybe you can kind of talk yeah. to what that was like a little bit different for. Well, for I most mean, of it was super guests, fun so. to me, but you know, when you're a guest star, I mean, you you a lot of times with comedy back then. Is, look, the business has changed so much, but back then, you know, the sitcom situation was you're in front of a live audience. We did a little pre-taping out out in front of the you know, by the car scene and stuff mm. like that, which was a little ahead of its time, you know, to have a, do things that were not all in that studio, right? All in that apartment. Um, but it, it, it was pretty straightforward that you're gonna try to recreate what you did in the audition. You know, you go, you have the read through and right. sometimes people get fired from the read through. You know, if, it, if you don't get the laughs and uh, I know Suzanne, you had Suzanne Cryer on and that, that's exactly yes. right. It's like, you gotta get every laugh that those writers wrote. And when you do the read through for them, when their joke comes up, man, they're laughing loud and that you gotta make sure that you're hitting it. So when the network comes in, you look, you are making your, your job is to make the writing, you know, even look better. Good. That's your yeah, job yeah. as an actor in television. It's to, it's to make the writing and when it's has to deliver and you have something like Seinfeld, which is so precise, it's farce. It's, you know, not really satire. It's more farce. There's a farce energy to it, but it really has its own. It really created its own kind of farce. Um, that I, a lot of people have tried to, you know, emulate. And sometimes they got, I mean, there are things like there are elements like in Veepin and other shows I've just used because I'm thinking of her, but it did change comedy in so many ways. But it was broad because, you know, to, to have a character like Kramer, it's very hard to imagine a character like that on a smart show again. I mean, it's, it's amazing the, the umbrella they were able to make of mm. really smart and really dumb and everything in between. So the show about nothing, 
um, which is again, it's so Larry David and it's so Jerry Seinfeld, you know. But they, you know, I, I will want to say something about um, Jerry, who was, well, let, I'll, let me get back to uh, Jason. There, it was interesting because it was his first time. And whenever there's a, an actor who's directing, who's on a show, and if I'd ever been on a show for years and years, I definitely would have act, act, asked if I could have a, you know, a shot at directing right. while on that show. And I was also directed by um, Helen Hunt in, in, a, in, in Mad About You. Or was she just, maybe she was just um, following the director. But there's, there's a, a definitely a different energy. Right. They have to hand over the reins to the actor and the actor, you know, we're always trying to prove ourselves and then you're also in it. So I think, you know, I, it was my only time, so I don't have anything to compare it to, but I have a feeling it was a little bit of a different energy than some of the other, you know? Right. Um, and there was that scene with the, when I did go after him, we did do a few different ways and we did try to, we did try some different things to really try to get it where they wanted. And I got it. I was a little worried that maybe they weren't, they weren't quite so happy with what I was doing, but we just, you know, Jason worked with me and we just kept doing it. And, and he was great. He's adorable. I mean, he's a wonderful person. I've known him for years after that and see him at charity things. And he's a very generous person and, um, and a real actor, you know, Jerry was very humble and very, um, Oh, I'm not really an actor. Just like Michael said, you know, but mm. he was so sweet and so generous. And I actually thought he was a good actor. I mean, he, he smiled a lot at what he's doing. Larry David does exactly the same thing when he's acting. He can't help him. You know, right. they're always about right. to crack up. You know, I just think they think everything is life is funny and it's kind of part of what they're playing. Right. But the really sweet thing that I'll never forget in terms of doing the show with Jerry is in front of the audience, we did the scene with the ice cream in the car with the live audience. And he went before the scene because he would come out and do some of the warm up, you know, before the show. Before that scene, he asked for a mic and he spoke directly to the audience. And because I was his first on screen kiss ever. Really? I think, yeah, you're right. And I had had a couple already. So it wasn't my first, but. I was, you know, very aware that it was embarrassing. It can be really embarrassing, you know, and especially when it's your first one. But he said, I really, if anyone makes a ooh sound, I'm going to be not happy. <laughs> you know, he said it in a gentle way, but he, he was very clear that like, please don't do that. Like, please wow. don't do that because it would really take him out of the, because right. it's, it's super embarrassing and it is super embarrassing. And I think there's something kind of like, that wasn't that kind of show, you know? Yeah, it's not Melrose Place, you know? Yeah, it's, we're not... <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's not like, you know, a teeny bopper sitcom, you know, it wasn't Urkel, you know, like it was, you know, those shows there's always like, oh, whenever someone says, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's not Full House, like this is something else. And so please, you know, like, don't do that. Um, so, and that, so he was, he was shy, you know, in that way and incredibly respectful and, um, I remember one time I was walking back to my car off the lot and he stopped in his, in his car and offered me a lift and gave me a ride to the parking lot, you know, and he was just a real sweet guy, super gentleman and really encouraging. And the same with um, Julia. I mean, absolutely encouraging, sweet. So 
um, Menchie. I mean, they were all just really Menchie. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've, it's been consistent. Everyone we spoke to, it's kind of, they like the guests are shine, make them feel so welcome. So it's funny. You mentioned Jason Alexander. He was directing. He also mentioned Larry. I mean, uh, you know, we've asked about the directors on the show a lot. And a lot of the actors are like, it's kind of Larry, just he's running everything. Like, I'm assuming he was super involved or was he kind of taking a step back because this was Jason's first director? It's like Larry's role on set. Yeah, I mean, it kind of felt to me that it was like Larry was like the guy kind of standing in the back and Jerry like um, was like his second. It kind of felt like that. Like this was felt very much like something they were doing together in a way. Um, and so, yeah, so I think then having um, Jason there, it might've been a little different that time, but I was just aware of them kind of in the back, but they were obviously, if you're directing, you're gonna be talking, Larry's the showrunner, you know, you're gonna be talking to the showrunner. It's always the showrunner who's the boss, who's the writer, usually the head writer. So um, it ultimately it has that boss energy and directing, I've worked with some of the great, great, sitcom directors, you know, Andy Ackerman. I mean, it, you know, and there's just a, they help you find, land those things, but it's a writer's, it's a writer's medium, the comedy. You know, you, you couldn't accept Seinfeld. You work with Ackerman as well. So we, yeah, we actually yeah. spoke with um, uh, Ann Tallman, who was actually, was on this show as well. Yes, well, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just curious, you know, when love was, a, love, uh, love happened on the set, did you, yeah. You pick up on any of that? I'm curious oh, just the I mean, vibe on the set. Well, here's the interesting thing about Michael. He will come up to every, I mean, he came up to me and sat down and started asking me all his questions. So I wasn't sure if he was flirting or he was right. just being nice. Yeah. And I think that he is really nice with everyone. So he was talking to Ann, he was talking to me, he was talking to, you know, the guy, he was talking to everybody, the guy, my memory's terrible, I'm so sorry. But <laughs> so I didn't, you know, I didn't particularly notice anything going on um but and i hope this isn't talking out of school but i think it was the night of the show um i ann said hey you know michael asked me for a drink or something we're gonna and i don't i don't know if i want to go alone will you come with and i was oh, like and that's when i kind of knew and i was like okay i'll come with but like at a certain <laughs> point it was like I'm gonna, I think it's time for me. <laughs> but I was kind of kept checking in, like, what's the body language? And it was, and I couldn't tell. It was like a little, she was very close to her breast. So, but I was like, I thought, well, if I make a move to go, then she'll either also, or she won't. And she didn't. So I was like, okay, good. So, you know, she's over that. So that's kind of, that's when I knew it was really at the end. But he is so sincerely curious um, and interested in your process and wh what you've done before. And do you, would you like to work on this? Do you want me to run this with you? I mean, and always working, never sitting down or, you know, when he was chatting, it was very directed. He's just an mm. incredibly hardworking, he was incredibly hardworking um, <laughs> actor yeah, to watch. We, it was fascinating. We have heard that a lot. That's, that's great to hear. That's uh that's funny that you were there at the uh, when the sparks were flying. Um, <laughs> you know, we'd be remiss. You you mentioned um, you know working with Andy Ackerman. You also mentioned uh, Helen Hunt earlier. I mean, you worked with some some real legends in 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 uh, in television. You know, with 
uh, Kelsey Grammer, uh, John Goodman, uh, you know, Ray Romano, uh, a lot of these people, you know, Brad Garrett, Larry Miller. Um, but Seinfeld was one of your earlier, um, you know, roles, uh, you know, jobs. Um, but what is, did you notice when you kind of moved on to these other, other, you know, West Wing, um, these bigger madmen, these bigger kind of shows, um, we always like to hear kind of the difference between, you know, I mean, you're there season three of Seinfeld, but I'm assuming it was still sort of that well-oiled machine we hear so much about and how they were, you mentioned earlier, they were groundbreaking. They were also, um, you know, uh, very professional on set, it sounds like. But I'm just curious if you um, kind of picked up anything from working on Seinfeld that you kind of took with you later on in your career, because you, you did work on oh, Seinfeld yeah. rather early. Absolutely. Um I mean, I think what, what's interesting in, is shows are different and sitcoms are run differently. And I've, I've been on several sitcoms and work with Diane English. And yes, um, you know, I, I think that Seinfeld probably helped me the most with the Gary Shandling, the Larry Sanders show. Um, yes. And I did an episode of that where I played his girlfriend. And I, because when you're working with someone who's a comedian first, and oh my gosh, Gary Shanley all was always saying, I'm not an actor. I'm like, oh, my, he was such a wonderful actor, such a wonderful actor, heartbreaking. And, but with him, with that show, you know, we can improv, like a, it was different. It was right. just a, a different kind of flow, but definitely working closely. And also in like, in the romantic kind of um, relationship in the show with a comedian, uh, it helped. It helped me with that show a lot. I think it helped me get confidence, and um, and and I, you know, it all builds one after the other. Work begets work, and part part of that is because you right. get more confident. You know, I where I did a movie with Leslie Nielsen. It was gonna. Oh, yeah. It was gonna be like the new Naked Gun series, and yes. so I was the you know the straight the Priscilla Presley type, I guess, character. Um, and that was, you know, that had challenges. I mean, it's, uh, first of all, it was an old fashioned thing and he had his way of working and he was quite a bit older. And, um, you know, that I think that the, the experience, when you work with people who are kind of at the top of their game or cresting mm. or, um, you know, really having, you know, those moments and, uh, or becoming famous, like, working on the X-Files during that time. That was the second year when they started to really Mad Men the second year when things started really there, right. you know, having had experience on those things, um, it, it definitely helps you gird the professional loins because there's a lot going on under the surface and a certain, a different kind of anxiety happens. It's a joy when things start to hit and people are so happy that that what the work they're doing is being received and understood and celebrated. But then there also is this burden of fame, which is new, which is never what people think it's going to be. And I have observed a lot of people become quite famous quickly. And um, there's not a lot of people that, that enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I have some friends who once said the only that are famous and they said the only person they, that they knew who enjoyed it was George Clooney. Um, and I think part of the reason that is that he waited a long time. Like he was, you know, I think, you know, at my age, 
um, if it happened to me now, I'd probably love every second of it because I've already been through every up and down. I've been so close to these things and been through it. Been, it's such a roller coaster. Mm. Uh, so I think if something went well, I would totally know this is so temporary and I'm just going to enjoy it. And I mean, now, I mean, there are still, there are people who are so crazy for X-Files or so crazy for Mad Men or so crazy for uh, Quantum Leap. I mean, and, you know, yeah. they'll come up to me and I'm like, I love talking. To them. I will talk to them for as long as whatever. But when you're, you know, on a show that becomes part of the zeitgeist, like say Friends, and you can't go anywhere, um, it, it can be very difficult. And, and it's, it's not surprising that those people become very close because no one else is experiencing it in that way that they are. Like Desperate Housewives, it happened. Like it can just happen. Now it's a little bit different because there's so much more content, but you can mm. see it still happens, right? Succession or Ozark or whatever is euphoria. Like there's, but, but the flame kind of comes and then it dies a little faster. Right. So right. it's different, but then you have to understand, well, you do understand, but um, I have to remind myself that there was four channels. I mean, when, when the X-Files came out on Fox on Friday night at nine o'clock, we were all sitting down. We all rushed home to watch the X-Files. There were massive parties. There was, Fox was like a new network right. still, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> so these things were mega. So Seinfeld was, it was a effing big deal, you know? And, yeah. and millions yeah, and millions of people were watching it, right? And for, well, what's interesting though is it, and for our money, you were in season three. Season three and five are our favorites. Flip a coin. I mean, they're just, I don't know. They just stayed true to the show, but the ratings, right? For instance, this episode did 16 million. Good number, but yeah. it, was a, it was a Wednesday night. And then like, you know, as the show got kookier, the muffin tops, you know, in season eight or whatever, did like 35 million. So it didn't, you know, for our money, like the, the core of the show was definitely the early years. And that's why like, we love talking to people that were there in the beginning, like you. But you, I mean, you made some just incredible points right there, but back to Seinfeld, that episode, were there any, again, it's 30 years ago, but were there any scenes <laughs> that got cut that, were, there, were there any scenes that got cut that did, you know, didn't make it, you wish made it? Like, um, I'm just curious, anything you, you remember from that week that kind of didn't make the cut because, you know, they have to truncate all this great writing into I only don't, 22 I mean, minutes. I, I just like to watch stuff I wasn't in. I always like to watch stuff I'm not in. So if I don't have to be like doing a change, like so back then you would do pre any pre-taping. Like, so we did you know, the ice cream, the talking about going to get a cappuccino right. um, outside before. And then everything else we shot that night. So if I didn't have to be back changing, I would like go by the side and the network people had a room. And so they were watching upstairs and they could come down in between if they wanted to give notes and then everyone's on the floor. So you have the, you have bleachers with, this is for people who've never, most people have never been to a live taping, right. but it's really exciting. It's like the opening, opening night on Broadway. It's usually a Friday night or a Tuesday night. Um, the bleachers are full and the day before you've done a dress rehearsal and you maybe have shot the whole show with no audience. But what they want is they want the scenes that are in front of the audience because that your game goes up, right? The adrenaline goes up, your game goes up. So you come out, you're introduced, you start the show, and they show back the clip of Jerry's 
monologue, whatever he's doing. And then you go right into the first scene, like in the diner, it's him and Jerry or whatever. And so if I could, I would stand on the sides so I could see what was going on. If I could see into that set and watch the monitor, because I want to hear, I want to feel like in a theater, a live show, it has, even though you're doing it for those 16 million and for you for pos and for now for posterity, it has a life that's live. And mm. so I'm always out there trying to see no matter what show I'm doing, like sitcom I'm doing, because you want to jump into the, the rope on the right thing. And you want to go out there and, and nail it on the first take. So the second take is a gimme. And then right. they can come in and they have, and they, they have a little joke. They have a little pitch. So the writers are there pitching to Larry. And then Larry says to the director, we're going to do this. Then the director comes over with the sides and say, we're going to try this. And so that's, you try to get all that in front of the audience. So we did that and usually do each scene twice. And then if you're going to do what are called pickups, you let the audience go after, yay, and you all, and you were great. And then you go into scenes that they may want extra angles on, or they just thought could be a little better. So we did stay. We did stay and work on the scene where I ball them out. I can't remember what else stayed, but we did. Well, I'll, I'll give you the line, if you don't mind repeating it. Um, I'll pluck all your body hairs out with my teeth. <laughs> Can yeah. you play that back in your Angela voice or? I'll pluck all your body hairs out with my teeth. <laughs> yeah, that perfect. Yeah, we got to ask you about it. Like that, that sounds like a yeah, and you had your hand out. I mean, you definitely had that. Uh, <laughs> I had that though. neck. I wanted to have that neck. That is she that was all, she was all a different? Is that Boston? Like, is that like a Boston? I tried to do a Brooklyn. Well, I had been living in Brooklyn. I tried to do like a Brooklyn, um, but like. I, but maybe some Boston came in. I never yeah. had a Boston accent. My mom's from Texas. My parents were from Texas. So oh, I right. never really, and we moved there when I was, so I never really had the Boston thing, but um, so I did what I thought would be this tough girl. And maybe she, she was, you know, related also to some Boston family, some bananas or something. I don't know. But yeah, there um, was some great line. I mean, you mentioned earlier, even the guy that, that wanted to, to, to get George says, I'll sew, I'll sew your ass to your face. Reattach um, it. Yeah, reattach it. I mean, yeah. all these lines. I, I <laughs> that was... is the funny. That's to me so Larry David. Like yeah, I just I mean, read that's... that script. I'm like, he hasn't changed. Like his humor is exactly the same. That is so. I mean, I could see that line in Curb Your Enthusiasm this season. Like I, right. you know, he's just he would find he would get a character and make them say that. He would make Susie say that in that. Right. Know? And that's what that's what Peter Melman. Look, I don't know if Peter right. Melman may have written that lane. Who, by the way, I have to tell you, Peter Melman, who is the best? He's just the best. But I was on another friend of mine's um, Facebook who wrote a beautiful spiritual post about Ram Das and how there was this synchronicity. And he ran into a man on the street, an older man on the street who was lost and had some memory problems. And he didn't remember where he lived. And so he had happened to be taking a walk. And so he, he and his wife figured out where he lived and got him home. And his wife was there waiting for him. And, and he said this beautiful Ram Dass quote, um, we're all just walking each other home in the end or whatever. And Peter Melman and everyone was like, oh, this is so sweet. This is such a beautiful story. And Peter Melman just went on him and he went, and he wrote, I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wrote, I love you. 
because I mean, he's just like, he's the only person I know that would read this beautiful story about this lost old man and pretend to be that. I mean, it was just to make a joke like that and not we, say anything sentimental. It's just so him. And it just, we love Mel, but no, it's funny. I, yeah. Sentimental. I asked him like sense of humor. Yeah, I told him, I told him I was upset that they killed off Susan and Melman said that was his favorite part of the show. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> that's his that's his thing. So classic. No, he's wonderful and awesome. So yeah, you so, so you unique thing. I mean, we made friends, we made friends during that show. I mean, he was around all the time. And I, because you know, when you when your name is on that episode, and I don't know how they worked in that writing room. I, I you know, I don't have the ins. You guys, I'm sure you know more. Yeah, than there me. really was no writing room, especially with Melman. He definitely wrote on his own. It was pretty okay. much but, so. Then wrote. he was responsible but typically, for most but of that. Typically, the, he brought this wrote to Larry, and they, you know, Larry and Jerry would kind of, you Punch know, lips. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I could see Melman writing that whole thing on them just being like. Yeah, I mean, you know, like he totally got, he understood the rhythm so well. I mean, it was a great, it was just a perfect match. I mean, there, it was it was one of those things that just doesn't happen. I mean, I think the only reason the third season didn't have those 36 million is because they kept yanking the freaking thing around. That yeah, it was a little harder to find. Six, uh, saying they're not going to do it. They didn't get it. They didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, for a long time, like we all used to say that that show would never be made. I think now it would, but it would have been HBO or it would have been, you know, so it would have had a shot now, except on the other hand, it's possible that it laid the groundwork for all these new shows to be for it, for even a Netflix to happen, you know, or, you mm. know, and, and being able to have these kinds of, you know, satires and well, it's not even a satire. It really is a farce. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's absurd. It definitely get well, especially the later seasons is definitely absurd. Well, what I, what's great for me? How old are your kids? Are your kids old enough to watch it? Yeah, some some of the episodes. I mean, they're 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 not old enough to watch a lot of them. But it's, I always forget too because I tell them about every episode. They obviously know to do the podcast. They're, yeah. they're ten and eight, and and or yeah, nine and seven, and so. Um, they'll always ask, can I watch that episode? And like, I'll turn it on and then I'll remember like, oh, wait a minute. This is when, you know, something happens at a lane or there's some, and I'm like, okay, you can't watch this episode. Sorry, but they yeah. can watch some of them, but they're not quite there to watch. I think they would, uh, I think they would prefer Angela. My, my, my kids would like you yelling. They'll be pretty funny. <laughs> well, they might like the sneezing. Well, I just want to tell you before, yeah. pardon me, before I get to this Helen Slater, oh my gosh, angel on her. Becky Gelke. Oh, yeah. Becky Gelke. What a great name. I want to like name a dog Gelke. I think it's just the, the great, real, great word. Real name. Name we found out, right? Oh, hi, it's it's a real... someone's real name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, my daughter's 19 and she's going to film school and she had never seen it. And so when I told her I was going to be this product, I said, and we were feeling kind of blue. It was a couple of weeks ago and she was home. And so I put on Sambu, watched the first three episodes she, from the pilot. And I haven't seen her laugh that hard. I mean, it holds up so, it's so timeless and it holds up so well. She laughed so hard. And I, you know, I don't, I, in 10 years, it's going to be no different with your kids. I don't think, I just think it, it was just, um, you know, a mystical synchronicity that all these people came together at that time in that moment. That's why there's the thing called the, the zeitgeist, like, it, you know, it just was the perfect moment for that. And this now it is just, it's like almost an anthropological, you know, thing in the gestalt of like who we are in American entertainment in not just American entertainment in entertainment in not just comedy, but all entertainment. There is this Seinfeld 
um, yeah. canister. What did, uh, what did she like? I'm just curious, like from a 19 year old, like what, you know, friends, I get the relationship stuff, blah, 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 but like Seinfeld's well, a, right a different Right from animal. his, you know, you know, what's the deal? I mean, everything, the, it's the, <laughs> to me, it's the, it's almost the, um, Ionesco-y absurd, absurd theater, like that everything he says is pointing out the obvious, the things we don't, that's right in front of our face that we don't right. see. That's why he's so brilliant. That's why he was always, he was successful. Yeah, and that's probably. why they say it's a show about nothing, but it right. really, it's, it is about everything, you know? It's like about everything. Yeah, it's about exactly. what it is, is he was mindful about things that the rest of us just walk over, right? Like, you know, he's pointing out the more, and when you think about that, oh my God, that is ridiculous. That's hilarious that human beings do that. I mean, he's a sociologist. Yeah. <laughs> really? yeah. And, and so there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound too whatever, but I think things that end up being timeless like that, there's, there's a philosophy in it. He is a philosopher. I mean, you can watch Jerry Seinfeld now in his, when he's doing the, you know, coffee with comedians in cars and other, you right. know, he does talk. I mean, they, he'll say it isn't, they'll say it isn't deep, but there is, of course it's deep to reflect on the culture because that's how we look at ourselves and say, you know, what are we making important and why are we all agreeing to that? You know? Um, yeah. And that is where we are right now. And it was a, a, a moment before, I mean, obviously like, you know, <laughs> They're dealing with this, this group of men dealing with women. And then right. Elaine happens to be one of their friends who's a woman dealing with being a woman and dealing with men. But I mean, there's a lot of um, sexual dynamics in it and uh, economic dynamics in it. And I mean, I definitely think that weird baby boomer to Gen X kind of, it was a weird, we were becoming aware there was punk and then it was after punk and it was the beginning of rap. And it was, you know, it was just a really strange time in the early nineties and the nineties. And, yeah. um, and I think that's true of the X-Files too. There's like some, you know, it's not just for sentimentality's sake. I think there's some like cultural truths in there that make it timeless besides the great writing and the you know, the great acting, but yeah, it's very well said it's timeless. And, and it's, it's the only thing that changes. I said this, we were actually just talking to an author who wrote a book about the nineties, uh, Chuck Klosterman. And we were talking about how oh. Seinfeld defined the decade. And it really, um, you just kind of summarized that very well, actually, because it, nothing changes except the technology, but the, the relationships and how we interact. And like you just mentioned the, 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 uh, the man and woman relationships that they talk about and especially the earlier seasons one through you know one through five with the larry charles episodes and larry david episodes yeah. they're very deep they are it's, it's very existential and there's a lot going on there so that was uh well said <laughs> well and it's their isolation too you know um this kind of like am i crazy or is this why should this be easier like to find someone who'll just say you love me and i'll love you should it be is complicated and and you know why is just having an apartment so like a rubik's cube like just adulting what we call adulting now right you know and so it's just so funny to be it was so such a relief i think to be able to look at people go oh look they're really having a problem getting this, their shit together too i'm not the only one who's like do I call her? Do I not call her? Do I this? Do I that? <laughs> you know, I, she should have left a note. I should do the right thing. But 
I want to go get coffee with her and she's hot and do I do, you know, it's just. Yeah, I mean, that episode had it all, just from the simplicity of like, the show at its core also is about friendship and kind of guys connecting and talking about everything. We said nothing, but like, you know, you went on the date with him and you would touch him and, you know, George says, why do we love that? And they just say, let's not even analyze it, right? Let's not even get into it. Let's not even but, get into um, it. So great. Such a great one. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not. So, so speaking of great lines, <laughs> speaking of great lines, uh, and you mentioned a second ago, Becky Gelke, what can you tell us about Helen Slater? Okay, that was no one knew. They did not tell us. They told no one. And Ooh. so that was a total surprise. Um, the, I think it's funny because you guys, I'm sure, have seen like articles or read reviews or whatever, how when they analyze this episode, they're like, well, the casting crew and the writers were really hoping that that after a sneeze, you know, you are so good looking, it would catch on, like yada, yada. But I don't know because when he says it to, if you haven't seen the episode, so George goes on a date with Elaine and this married couple and Ann Tolman's character, Beth? Well, I can't remember the name of her character. I don't know, she sneezes. And her husband doesn't say, say anything. And George says, tight." And she said, well, thank you. Or they make a big deal about how saying God bless you is so great. And so they have a conversation about and say, we should say you are so good looking. Wouldn't that be nice? And so he decides that this, the woman that I hit is this woman that he's had a crush on for years, Becky Gelke. And he goes on her, to her apartment to let her know that he's going to that he saw the whole thing or whatever. And she yeah. answers the door and sneezes. And he says, you are so good looking because it was in his head and she closes the door in his face. So to me, the whole thing was, that's a bad idea. So why did they think they, they wanted it to catch on? Because, because was, a real guy was fired from his job months after that aired for saying that to someone in the workplace. Oh yeah, I do vaguely for remember that. For sexual harassment. Yeah, for like sexual, which, yeah, yeah. Which I think is such a... <laughs> a Seinfeld, just a beautiful Seinfeld, like chef's kiss of, you know, what what they were trying to send up is that you probably shouldn't go around saying you are so good looking to every random woman that sneezes. But yeah, that, that so was the, I mean, that was the beauty of the show, right? They, they touched, they pulsed on things that were happening in real time. And and if it was funny, it was funny. So it definitely uh, it definitely worked. I mean. Oh, Belinda, this has been such a treat. We cannot thank you enough. I mean, thank you so much, Angela. <laughs> Angela, what's better than Angela? What's, where is Angela now? I have my ideas. She yeah, so yeah, tell us about like wh what are you up to now? Um, I mean, your career has been unbelievable. Oh, I think she's on Real Real Housewives of Long Island. I think. She's <laughs> oh, Angela. Yeah. <laughs> That's she has, you know, a son-in-law who's into this and she's got the, and she has, she may not have a shoe store, but she definitely, she's got her own. With that flower dress and everything. <laughs> she's bringing the nineties back with the, the flower dresses. Yeah. Incredible. Well, you Thank guys, you the so podcast is great. And I'm so glad you're keeping the love alive. Thank you. And uh, have so a fun. great time. Enjoy your kids this age. It's so, so, <laughs> so, so much fun. Thank you. And hey, we're glad that your your is your daughter listening to the podcast? Did you get her uh, get her to I be a I will make sure she does. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll watch Mike's too. I she'll get interested. The more signful she, she watches, the more she'll she'll want to listen for probably from the beginning of yeah. the whole thing. And so will I. 
So, awesome. Thank awesome. you so I'm late much. To the party. Thanks, you guys, for reaching out. Take care. Thanks so much, Melinda. Bye.